All right, the 73rd Psalm this morning, beginning in verse number 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore His people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain, washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you'd bless and honor your word. Lord, this poor earthen vessel does not deserve your honor, but robed in the righteousness of Christ and in the relationship I have in the stead of your Son, Lord, I know that you can answer my prayers and hear them. So I'd ask, God, that you'd meet with us this morning. That's what we need. More than anything else, God, we need your presence to be manifest, to do a work in hearts that we cannot accomplish. I want to thank you, Lord, for these wonderful people, for this wonderful group that is gathered here today to hear the preaching of your word and to submit their hearts to you and help us, Lord, as the word is preached, to have our hearts submitted and softened unto your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that everything that you do today would be done in such a way that we may look back and say, Surely God hath done this. Give you all the praise and honor and glory that's due your name, Lord. God, I'd ask that you'd accomplish this according to your will, Father. And in your name we pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. 
In this passage, we're studying the inner thoughts of a man named Asaph. Asaph has twelve psalms that are attributed to him. This psalm, the ten that follow it, and Psalms chapter number 50. And it's interesting to note, we think of David as being the sweet psalmist of Israel, and the Bible calls him so. But many of the psalms are written by different men. Some of them we know something about. Solomon uh, wrote a psalm. Uh, Moses wrote uh, at least one psalm. And there's others that have written psalms we know a little bit about. But this man Asaph, many times we neglect to take a look at his life. If you were to study the life of Asaph, you would find that he was one of the music leaders in the choir that sang for the temple. Uh, He was one of several, and it was his responsibility to help lead that choir. He was a man of great prestige, a man of great uh, of great providence, and a man of great prominence. And he was a man that was in the service of Almighty God. He was a spiritual man whom God used to write twelve of these psalms. But here in this psalm, we don't find him having such a bright outlook. In fact, I've put as a title to this song, uh, psalm, excuse me, in this sermon, what to do when you've lost your song. You see, as we read this passage, we find a, a very different picture of Asaph than we would imagine. You know, a song leader, one of his responsibilities is to be vibrant and to be exciting. And I kind of uh, uh, remember what Paul said. The, he said, I'm become a fool for your sakes. And that's kind of what a song leader does. He's unendingly optimistic. He's always bright. He's driving the people in their praise to God. And no doubt, if you had seen Asaph on any given day, that would have been the image you would have seen. A man with a song in his heart and a song on his lips. A man that's praising God and encouraging others to praise God. But as we read the 73rd Psalm, we find a gloomy outlook. We find a man that's discouraged. We find a man that's downcast and downtrodden. We find a man that's ready to give up on life. And at some point in Asaph's life, he lost his song. He lost his joy. Uh, Can I just get a testimony this morning? How many of you there have been times in your life when even though you knew you should praise God, you found it hard to do it. Would you slip your hand up? I've been there. There's times when even though we sing a new song, sometimes it's difficult to sing. There's times when life seems to bear down upon us and to find the words to give God the praise that He deserves seems at a loss from us. It just seems impossible. And This morning, I want to look at just a few things from this passage. And I'll readily admit to you, that I won't be able to touch on everything. If I preach 28 verses like I want to preach 28 verses, you'd be here all day, amen? And you have to make me some soup, so I'm not going to do that to you. But I want us to look at three main sections that I find in this psalm, and we are going to use the whole psalm, although we may not be as in-depth with some portions as others. We find that this is an inner monologue that Asaph's having. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because he starts with the word truly. It's almost as though we interrupt and breach upon Asaph's innermost thoughts. He's been having this struggle within himself concerning the prosperity of the sinner and the persecution of the saints. And Asaph's been looking at the world and trying to reckon it and trying to make sense of it. And it's almost as though he just proclaims out, if in nothing else than in sheer resolve, truly God is good to Israel. He begins with the premise 
Something He wants to say to state His placement of thought. Something He wants to say to make sure that anyone that reads this psalm does not misunderstand Him. We do that today. Uh, here in the South, God's country. Amen. Boy, y'all are asleep this morning. Either that or you ain't from the South. I said here in the South, God's country. Amen. Thank you. Amen. I must be looking mean today or something. You're afraid you're going to get skinned. I don't know. Here in the South, we do things like this. We'll say, bless their heart. You can say anything to someone. You can say, that person is ugly as homemade sin. Bless their heart. And it's okay. I don't know why that is. But you can say anything. Or you can say, I'm just saying. And that makes it okay. You can say, well, I really don't like that person. I'm just saying. We know you're saying. That doesn't make it any better. It's almost as though Asaph begins by stating a premise. He doesn't want people to take him the wrong way. And he makes a statement. He says, truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked we find that there's a confusion clouding Asaph's mind. Asaph makes a couple of statements, and I just want to touch on a few of them. I want to say that first off, Asaph begins by stating what he knows. He says, truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Asaph says, I know this is the case. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you know God is good? How many of you know God is good all the time? Sure he is. But Asaph not only states the providence of the sovereign, but then he says, but. Now, anytime you have to say God's good, but, (laughs) there's a problem. He says, God's good. God's good to Israel. God's good to those that love Him, that serve Him. But, as for me, we see the perplexity of his sorrow. He says, God's good to everybody. But when I look at my life, I see trial. When I look at my life, I see difficulty. When I look at my life, I look at other people and they seem happy. I look at other people and they seem joyous. I look at other people and they say God's good. And I know God is good. And if I could put it in plain language, Asaph says, I know God is good, but sometimes I don't feel like He is. Have you ever felt differently than you knew was right? You ever known God loved you, but felt like He didn't? You ever known God was good to you, but felt like He wasn't? Asaph says, I know God's good. You know, we have a tendency when people are depressed to affirm the things that they know. We don't need to affirm the things that we know that they know. They already know them. And I've found when I deal with people and people are discouraged and they're downtrodden, the worst thing you can do is give them what I call a cross-stitch answer. Don't walk up to someone at a funeral It's just lost someone they love. If you don't know what they're going through, don't tell them you know what they're going through. I I try when I'm at funerals, I try to give encouragement and advice and comfort people. But I try to be careful lest I should be cavalier with their grief. Let me tell you something. That person standing beside that funeral and weeping, they know they're going to see him again. They know that. But they don't feel that way. That person that's lost their loved one, they know that God loves them. But sometimes they don't feel like that. They know God has a plan. But sometimes they don't feel like that. 
there's a difference between knowing and feeling. Asaph has come to a place, he knows this. He says, God's good. I've seen God be good. I've seen Him be good to Israel. I've seen Him be good to those that were of a clean heart. I've seen God be good in my life. But when I look at myself right now, I'm struggling. I'm having a difficult time. He says, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. What's he saying? I'm finding it hard to stand. I'm finding it hard to walk. You ever find it hard to walk with God? You ever find it hard to serve Him? I do. You ever find it hard to pray? Sometimes I do. You ever find it hard to read your Bible? Sometimes I do. You ever find it hard to trust Him? Sometimes I do. Asaph says, I know God's good. I understand the providence of the sovereign God. But I'm perplexed by the sorrows and the sufferings that I'm going through. I don't understand why I'm having to deal with this. Then Asaph goes a little further. This is what confuses matters the most. He says, I know God's good. And I know that I'm having trouble. But he turns around and he sees the prosperity of the sinners. What does he say there in verse number 3? For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Can I tell you that the devil is the God of this world? Can I tell you that this world is filled with more lost people than saved people? And if you look at this world, it don't take you long to get discouraged. I want to ask you a question that I hope you'll be honest with, and you don't have to answer this, but I hope in your own heart you'll be honest with this. If you were, if you were a young person and you were looking at this world, and you had Christianity and the cause of Christ and the Word of God on one side, and you have the devil and the things of the world and the things of the flesh and ungodliness and wickedness on the other side, who would you feel like was winning? I didn't ask who you know is winning. The difference between knowing and feeling. I asked you, who would you feel like is winning? When a, when a Christian is persecuted for putting the Ten Commandments on his lawn, but a Muslim can build a mosque at the center of one of their sites of terrorism. Who does it look like is winning? When people can pray to Allah, and they can pray to Buddha, and they can pray to Mary, and they can pray to anybody in the world, but you stand up at a high school football game pray in the name of Jesus Christ, and pretty soon you've got people jumping down your throat. Who does it feel like is winning? When you look at this world, we're losing our young people left and right. When you see a world, I saw on the news the other day in Mexico, nine-year-old girl gave birth to a little baby. If that don't break your heart in two, I don't know what it'll take to do it. Who does it feel like is winning? Asaph looks around himself and he says, I know God's good. I know the Lord's on the throne. But I look around and I see the circumstances. I see godly men suffering. I see wicked men prospering. I see the unrighteous of this world in places of power and prominence. I see the righteous of this world in the bottom of the pit, ignored and disregarded by the world. He says, I get a little upset. I look around and it don't make sense to me. I see their prosperity. I see them. Hey, some of the richest people in the world are in Hollywood, California. God ain't within a million miles of that place, neighbor. I mean, the, the trash that comes out. You, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there's not saved people in Hollywood, California. 
But the majority of what comes out of that town is straight out of hell. Straight out of hell. I mean, listen, (laughs) that's a place, neighbor, where homosexuality is not just accepted, it's encouraged. And there's other places. San Francisco's the same way. One of these days, California might just slide off into the ocean. I'll give it a good push when it goes. Amen. No, don't get upset at me over that. And some of the richest people in the world live in that town. Some of the richest people in this world. Some of the people that have it the easiest of anybody. Never care in the world, it seems. Are living like they're straight out of hell. He saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, this just doesn't make sense. I know God's good, but I see the righteous suffer and I see the wicked prosper. I know God's good. I've seen Him be good to other people, but it doesn't feel like He's being good to me. I just don't understand. We see Asaph's confusion. But Asaph goes a little further. You just stick with me. I'll preach here in a sec. I've structured this thing where I'm only going to preach the last point anyway. Amen. Somebody say amen right there. We see Asaph's confession. I'll go ahead and read about the wicked. It says, verse 4, there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. In other words, he says they die well. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. You ever had trouble making your bills and looked at the wicked man that didn't ever have to worry about making his bills? They're not in trouble as other men. They're not having to suffer like other men. Listen to me, there's people that love God and that serve Him that have trouble putting a roof over their head in this world. There's people that do everything they can to promote the agenda of hell that live in mansions. Asaph says, I don't understand it. They're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, he says, God, if you judge them, this wouldn't happen. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. God, because you let them get away with this, they become prideful. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. In other words, it's not just that they've got what they need. They've got more than what they need. They have more than heart could wish. There's people in this world that burn money that you and I would die for. (laughs) There's people in this world that throw money away like it's absolutely nothing. They don't have any respect for money because they've got all that they need. Now, I'm not saying we need to live and worship the love of money. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there's people in this world that have more than heart could wish. They don't ever have to think about making a bill. They don't ever have to think about struggling. And some of them are some of the most wicked and ungodly men in this world. They have more than heart could wish. He says, they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. What's he saying? He's saying that they speak against the things of God and that they have influence and reach. They set their mouth against heaven, and their tongue goeth and runneth through the earth. There's people in this world that spread about that God's dead. I don't believe that He is. There's people in this world that spread about that Christianity is nothing but a fairy tale and foolishness. I don't believe that's the case. But some of the men that do that are some of the most richest men in the entire world. They use their money as a means to accomplish uh, the persecution of Christianity. Asaph says, I don't understand this. Therefore, his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. He speaks of the sorrow of the believer. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. 
But then Asaph turns his monologue. And he looks within himself. And notice what he says in verse 13. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. Asaph says, you know, sometimes it feels like it don't pay off to serve God. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. Sometimes it feels like it's not worth it to serve God. That's what Asaph says. He says, I've cleansed my hand or my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocency. Asaph said, I've served God and it's not gotten me anywhere. I've served God and still I struggle. He says that he felt like his time had been wasted. You ever spent time for praying somebody and they for somebody and they didn't get saved? That's happened to me. You ever spent time serving God? Nobody appreciated it. Now, I'm not speaking this ill against Walridge. We've got some loving and wonderful people. I feel appreciated. But there have been times in my life when I've served God and it just felt like it went unnoticed. You ever had a time in your life when you showed love towards somebody and they showed hate back towards you? You ever felt like you've cleansed your heart in vain? You ever felt like the things you've done for God didn't pay off? Asaph said, if I was to be real honest, let me tell you something, church, something that helped every one of us a lot. If we get down to getting real honest with God, I'm not talking about keeping our manners and politeness when we talk with the Almighty God. I'm talking about being honest because He knows our heart. Asaph is praying, he's talking to the Lord, and he's saying, God, I'm just going to be honest with you. I feel like there's been no reason for me to serve you. You say, that's awful. I'd never say that to God. No, but you'd think it. God knows your heart anyway. The psalmist said, I'll pour out my complaint unto God. That's what Asaph's doing. He's saying, God, I'm just going to tell you and be honest with you. Sometimes it feels like serving you does not pay off. Sometimes it feels like, like I'm not getting anywhere. He says, I've been plagued. Plagued and chastened. What's he saying? He's saying, I feel like my time has been wasted. But he says, I feel like my trials are weighty. He's saying, God, I feel like I'm having to bear more than my fair share. Plagued and chastened every morning. He says, I feel like I'm having to bear more than other people are. Let me tell you something. Sometimes some of us do have to bear more than others have to bear. Some of us have to bear heavier weights than others. Asaph says, it just seems like I'm dealing with more struggles than other people are dealing with. Let me ask you something. You don't have to raise your hand. But has there ever been a time when you've coveted another Christian because they didn't have it as difficult as you have? been times in my life. There's been times, I don't know what it is. You know, you're a preacher and preachers are, are bad to be jealous and gossip and really they're the most carnal people in the world. I don't know why you voted me in as your pastor, but there's times when it crosses your mind. You look at a man that's been at a place for two years and they're going through a building program. He preaches the same way you do and he pastors the same way you do. You look at it and you say, God, I just don't understand that. There's times when you bear burdens and you look over at the man next to you and you say, God, what about him? You know, Peter did that. Peter did that. Read the end of the book of John. Uh, God, Christ looked at Peter and said, Peter, when you get old, people are going to carry you places you wouldn't want to go. You're going to die a martyr's death, Peter. You're going to have a bitter end. Peter looked over at John and said, what about this fellow here? What's John going to have to bear? How come I have to bear it? And John doesn't have to bear it. Christ looked at him and said, If I would, that he should tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Feed my sheep. 
He looked at Peter and he said, His relationship with me is not your priority. Your relationship with me is your priority. Asaph says, It seems like I bear more trials and difficulties than other men have to bear. Notice what he says. I believe it's verse number 15. He says, When I thought to speak this, the generation of thy children, he said, I knew I would offend them. I know I'm paraphrasing. You stick with me. He says, I was going to speak it. Let me just put it in modern language. He said, I was going to tell people how I felt, but they'd think I was a bad Christian. I was going to tell people how I felt about this, but if I, I knew if I did, they'd judge me. You ever thought within yourself, if people knew the things I'm thinking right now, they'd never ask me to pray again. If people knew the things that I'm feeling right now, people would be horrified. Let me tell you something. People don't. I'm not a fan of people airing their dirty laundry. But you've got a God in heaven that knows what your heart's deepest, darkest secrets are. Why don't you get honest with the Lord? He felt like his testimony was wicked. Asaph knew what he felt was wrong. But he couldn't help that he felt it. It's not wrong to feel a certain way, church. But there's a remedy for it. We see a Asaph's, I'm liable to say Ahab, so you stick with me. We see Asaph's confusion. We see his confession. You let me take just a few moments and preach on Ahab, or Asaph's conclusion. Verse number 16, he says, When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I like his next word. Aren't you thankful for the untills in life? Aren't you, aren't you thankful that right now we're suffering, but it's only until... Aren't you thankful that right now we're separated from our Lord as far as, as physical presence is concerned, but it's only until? Aren't you thankful that though death seems to reign in this life, it's only until? Asaph says, I, I felt this way. I, I looked around. I was discouraged. I couldn't understand it. I saw the wicked prospering. I saw the righteous suffering. I saw my own calamity. I saw wicked men that had more than heart could wish. And I myself was struggling just to keep my feet on the ground until something changed. Look what he says. Until. Until. I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I therein. What's Asaph saying? While I was looking at the wicked, I coveted the wicked. But when I got my eyes on God, then I began to understand some things. Let me tell you the problem with us in this world, church, and you just bear with me for a moment. I know it's getting late, and I promise I'm going to let you out as soon as I can. But you just let me dwell on this for a moment. The problem in this world is we become temporal Christians. We look at the wicked, and we look at all that they've got, and we think, that's not fair, God. That's not fair. How come they have it? How come I don't have it? I'll tell you why you don't have it. Because you don't have the same end that they do. He said, then I understood their end. Look what he says. Verse number 18. He goes on to describe this end. He said, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus was my heart grieved, and my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. What Asaph says is when I really got into God's Word and the things of God, and I really looked at it, I understood that in a moment everything's going to be gone for him. 
Let me tell you something. I had a man tell me one time, and I've never forgot this. He said, don't ever covet the, anything that the lost has because it's all that they're going to get. In this world, those men out in Hollywood, those people out in Hollywood, those people with the fat bank accounts, those people that never seem to have a trial, never seem to have a trouble, if they do not know Christ as their Savior, let me tell you something, there's going to be a day when it's all going to burn up. And eternity is a lot longer than this life is. He comes to a realization that he's been looking at things in the temporal. He's been looking at the immediate. He's been looking at the material. He's not been looking at the supernatural and the spiritual. He says, I realized at that point... That this life is all they have, and in a moment they're going to be destroyed. He says, as when one awakes from a dream. In other words, one of these days, either when they pillow their head in death, or when our Lord returns in power and in glory, He's going to set everything right. He's going to make everything how it needs to be. We see the realization that He made. You know what He says? He says, I was so foolish. I was so ignorant. He says, God, I was like a beast before Thee. What's he saying? He was saying, Lord, I should have known better. Let me tell you something. We're all going to do things in our life that we should have known better than to do. When you've messed up, when you've sinned, when you've done wrong, when you've got your heart knotted up in so many knots that you couldn't time out if you had a million years to do it, the best thing to do, don't hide it and don't pretend that it's not a problem. Go before God Almighty and plead the blood of Christ and ask Him to forgive you of that sin and to cleanse you of it and to bring you back into a fellowship with Him that you need to have. Asaph says, Lord, I repent. What did he say? I was pricked in my reins. I was grieved in my reins. I was pricked at my heart. That's conviction. He's saying, God convicted me of the way I was acting. Can I tell you, saved people can get convicted and need to as well, just like the lost? I always talk about conviction as it relates to the lost. Let me tell you something. As a believer, when you do wrong, the Holy Spirit of God shows you that you've done wrong, shows you how to get it right with the Lord, and you have a responsibility to get it right with God, not to ignore it and say it wasn't a big deal, not to brush it aside and say, well, I'll do better from now on, but to get on your knees before God and say, Lord, I was wrong. God, forgive me. Forgive me. We see the realization that he came to, but we see the reassurance that he had. Look what he says. This is where it gets so sweet. Look in verse number 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth. Now, I want you to notice this. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He comes to a reassurance here. He says, I realize now that the lost, as soon as this life is over, they've lost everything they've ever had. But he says, but God is my portion forever. Let me just put it very simply to you, okay? When you covet the wicked, you just remember you've got something they don't. When you look at the wicked and they seem happy, go lucky, they seem like there's not a problem in the world. When you see the injustice in this world and you can't make heads or tails out of it, you just understand that though you may go to your grave a pauper and penniless, you've got a God in heaven that loves you, a relationship with God. He's your Father, you're His Son, you're born again of His Spirit and you have an inheritance that's incorruptible, that fadeth not away, that God is your portion. Though you may die penniless in this world, you die a wealthy man when you die in Christ. He gets reassurance that though this world is unjust, we have a just God. 
He gets assurance that though this world does not appreciate Him, there's a God in heaven that so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He understands that though this world may cast Him off, there's a God in heaven that wants Him to draw nearer to Him. We live in a twisted world, church. But we have a responsibility in light of it. And I'm going to say this in hush. I'm going to read one verse. Say a couple things. I'm going to be quiet and sit down. Verse 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy works. We see three things in that verse. First off, he says it's good for me to draw near unto God. What's he saying? Basically the same thing that Christ said to Peter. What is that to thee? What is that to thee? Feed my sheep. He's saying when I look at this world, no matter what happens, my responsibility is my relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't need to worry about what the lost and the wicked are getting away with and what they're not getting away with. I don't need to worry about what they've got and what they don't got. I need to just worry about my relationship with God. He speaks of a second thing. He says that uh, I need to draw near to the Lord, and the Lord wants me to draw near unto Him. But He said, I've put my trust in the Lord God. We need to have faith in God. He's going to meet our needs day in, day out. Let me tell you something. It's a grand and glorious day in the Christian's life when he understands that all God's promised him as far as material things is concerned is your daily bread. God's not. None of us like to live paycheck to paycheck, do we? But God's promised us our daily bread. He may not give you your monthly bread. He may not give you your yearly bread. But He'll always make sure you've got your daily bread. He'll make sure there's food in that pantry enough to get you by. He'll make sure there's money enough to get those bills paid. He'll make sure that you've got everything that you need. He always does. How many of you, I would love for one person in here to testify to me of a time that when they were serving and loving God, that God did not provide for their needs. David had the same opinion. He said, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. David said, I've seen giants fall and I've seen kings fall. I've seen kingdoms fall. I've seen kingdoms arise. I've seen God take a shepherd boy and put him in the palace. I've seen a lot of things in my life, but I've never seen a righteous man starve to death. God's always met his needs in his life. He always does. Always does. David said, I've seen a lot of things, but I ain't never seen that. I ain't never seen him forsaken. Notice what he says, that I may declare him. You ought to praise the Lord. I tell you, I believe in praising the Lord. I believe that Christians ought to praise the Lord. What did Paul say? I would that all men with holy hands. Holy hands. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Don't you let the charismatics tell you it's wrong to raise your hand and thank the Lord for what He's done in your life. Don't you let anybody tell you it's wrong to sing the praises of God. God is so jealous of His praises, He said, if you won't praise me, the rocks and the trees will praise me. I think God's people ought to be the ones to praise Him. Say, I don't feel like praising Him. Praise Him anyway. Praise Him on credit, amen? (laughs) Praise Him on credit. Praise Him on what He's going to do if you ain't got nothing to praise Him about for today. God's always took care of His children. I know it's easy to get mixed up and discouraged in this world. It's easy to lose your song. But the song man that had lost his song was singing by the end of this song. He was declaring the praises of God. Where did it begin? It began by getting in God's presence. Till I went into the sanctuary of God. 
Let me tell you, if that's you, where you're at today, I'll tell you what will help you. Get down here into the presence of God. Ask Him to forgive you of a bad attitude, of covetousness, of discrimination. You say, what I did wasn't all that bad. If it was bad at all, it deserves asking God to forgive you of it. Just get down. You say, well, I'll just do better next time. No, that's not conviction. That's not repentance. Repentance is coming down and asking God to forgive you of it. And get your focus off the world. The Bible says, the world, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. It's all going to burn up one day anyway. What you've got isn't going to fade away. It's incorruptible. It fadeth not away. It's reserved forever in heaven for you. Let me tell you something, neighbor. You may not have much in that bank account, but God is your portion forever.